Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to the Pet Pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant and an all-round animal lover. And each episode, I'm going to be joined by one or two of my veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet healthcare industry so that we can offer you handy tips and some expert advice to help keep your beloved family pet healthy and above all, happy. Today's podcast is supported by YouMove, the UK's number one vet joint supplement brand for dogs. Clinically proven to work in just six weeks, U-Move is recommended for older dogs who are starting to slow down and show some signs of stiffness. They also have a range of products available to help younger dogs and canine athletes to stay on top form. And you'll be pleased to know that they also have supplements available for cats, horses, and even us humans. Now, regular listeners will know that my own dog, Rumba, is about four weeks into trying out her own U-Move supplements. And she's just a couple of months off her ninth birthday, so she's a little bit of an old lady in dog years and as she's a Bernie's mountain dog she's also quite a large old lady at about 40 kilos in body weight and I noticed that she was starting to slow down a little bit earlier this year so anything I can do to help her really seems like a good idea to me so keep listening and I'll keep you posted on her journey the team at YouMove are on a mission to make sure that every dog cat and horse lives their most active life for life and that's why they're offering a very generous 40% discount code to anyone who listens to the pet pod. So visit their website, youmove.co.uk, and just enter the code PETPOD40 when you get to the checkout. Today we're talking teeth. Just like us humans, our dogs and cats can also suffer from dental problems, and this can have a detrimental effect on their well-being as well as their overall physical health. And so this is why it's really important to know how to spot any issues early on so that we can help them maintain a healthy mouth and good oral hygiene. Now, my guest today is Dr. Matthew Oxford, who's one of only a handful of veterinary dentists in the UK, so he's a true expert when it comes to our pet's dental health. Matthew treats domestic animals across the south of England from his clinic at the New Forest Veterinary Dental Service, a lovely spot in the world. But he also has extensive experience of zoo veterinary dentistry, performing surgery on primates, small mammals, and even big cats such as tigers. But today we're going to rein him back in and focus on our dogs and cats. So Matthew, welcome to the Pet Pod. Thank you for having me along. I think dentistry is something that I know certainly when I went to vet school, it unfortunately was, was a little bit glossed over, and yet it's something that's so common in everyday veterinary practice. So maybe we should start with the basics and, you know, the old adage, prevention is better than cure. And it's it's a lot easier said than done, though, isn't it, when it comes to our pets? <laughs> yes and no. There are definitely some instances where it is hard work. You know, Some of our furry friends don't make it as easy as we would like. But also, it's also about getting in a routine. You know, it's like any anything in life. It's like brushing our own teeth. You know, if you're in that routine and you do it every day, then that's the way to progress through it. So the best thing, obviously, is start with our with our kittens and our puppies as as soon as they come home, basically. I think so. I mean, I think there are some big advantages to starting at a younger age. Obviously, it gets them used to the idea of having their teeth brushed 
used to you know, having their mouths handled and that sort of thing. So I think that's a really good thing to do, although perhaps the brushing is less essential because those deciduous teeth are going to be shed fairly quickly. It's the behavioural, certainly the behavioural aspects of getting them used to being inside their mouth is a really important. And it's not just from tooth brushing, because if you're an owner that's in their mouth every day, then you're going to notice problems much more quickly. And so those problems can then be addressed before they become bigger problems. Absolutely. But it's not always the easiest thing, is it? Especially when we, we think of those sharp, sharp teeth of particularly our, our feline friends. <laughs> yes. Cat owners, I try and encourage them to brush their cat's teeth. But obviously there are limitations with, with cats. Dog owners, I'm happy to bully a dog owner into brushing their dog's teeth. There's very few dogs that won't let you brush their teeth. You know, I've got police dog handlers that brush their dog's teeth. So, you know, any dog has the potential to have their teeth brushed, I think. And a lot of cats do too. Some cats less so, but, you know, a lot of cats do. And actually a good place to go to to look at how to brush cat's teeth is, is YouTube. There are loads of videos on YouTube. Oh, how interesting. It seems to be the thing to do once you've mastered brushing your cat's teeth, then you go and make a video and put it on YouTube. So. <laughs> To share all the trials and tribulations or to, to show off your prowess. <laughs> I think a bit of both. But if it cuts out some of the trials and tribulations that you have to go through, then I think that's it's a useful thing to do because people come up with their own techniques, methods, ways of handling their cats, restraining them in order to get the job done. Then coming from, from your perspective, and we will stay with cats for the moment, what is the best way to brush a cat's teeth? How do you restrain them and what implements should we be using? I mean, I think if you've got two people, that makes life much easier. Because I think certainly having one person restraining the cat is a useful thing to do. And then the person who's brushing only needs to worry about the head, getting the head in the right place, and then the toothbrush in the mouth. So I think if you've got a spare person holding the shoulders with your hands, the head pointing in that way, and then pulling the body in towards you so that you've got control of all of the sharp, scratchy bits, and then if that's it because they're weaponized every every direction really aren't they cats absolutely <laughs> if you're the person brushing then all you've got to worry about is the head so you can, just, you can get your thumb and your index finger over the top of the cheekbones then i try and get a little finger and ring finger towards the back of their head so you've got the head sort of grasped and then you can manipulate them without them causing too much of a fuss that sounds very much like the pilling method um, of holding the mouth and, and opening the jaw for getting a tablet down. Yeah, I mean, it's the same process because if you see if you tilt the head backwards, generally the mouth opens a little bit and it makes it easier for you to get in there with the toothbrush. Okay. And as for implements, with any toothbrushing, I would just say a child's toothbrush is, is absolutely fine. Okay, but not child's toothpaste. There's a specific liver-flavoured toothpaste and the like, isn't there? Well, again, I'm not too worried about the toothpaste. Uh, the toothpaste doesn't actually do a huge amount. We use toothpaste because it makes us smell nice and it's got fluoride in it so it helps us with cavities and tooth decay. Tooth decay is really uncommon in dogs and it, as far as we're aware it doesn't exist at all in cats. Really? Gosh that's interesting. So that, that aspect of the, of the toothpaste is not essential and certainly fluoride is actually toxic to our pets so we don't want to use fluoride toothpaste at all. So really the toothpaste is just a lubricant and a pleasant flavour. Okay, so it's it's the mechanical action, and a pleasant flavour, which which might help <laughs> when you're in that situation. From a behavioural point of view, I think sometimes the toothpaste can be helpful if it tastes nice. It gives them you know, something else to think about other than having the teeth brushed. But actually, sometimes that flavoured toothpaste can become a hindrance as well. If you've got a Labrador, they can get really fixated on the toothpaste. <laughs> That's true. And their tongue is getting in the way all the time, right? <laughs> exactly. Then it actually becomes more difficult to brush their teeth. So. 
I would just say child's toothbrush and water is absolutely fine. Okay, because it's really just getting them used to the motion and it's the mechanical action of the, the brushing that you're trying to prevent the calculus from building up, right? Yeah, absolutely. So gum disease is caused by plaque on the surface of the tooth. Plaque is a biofilm that sits on the surface of the tooth. The biofilm is uh, salivary proteins mixed with bacteria that sit on the surface of the tooth. And the only way that can be removed is to physically scrub the tooth, which is why we do the tooth brushing. And the rationale for brushing teeth once a day is that plaque can build up the surface of the tooth over a 24-hour period. And generally, it doesn't cause that much aggravation to the tissues as long as you clean it off. More than 24 hours, then you start to see the body reacting to those bacteria sat on the surface of the tooth. So the toothbrushing once a day clears that plaque layer off before it gets to that aggravation stage. Okay, because then over time that plaque just builds and builds and builds and that's what eventually hardens to create the, the tartar or the calculus, right? Absolutely, yeah. So the aim is to remove the plaque before it starts to cause issues to the patient or then become calcified to form that sort of calculus or, or tartar. Now about 70% of adult animals, dogs and cats, have gum disease and gum disease is all about toothbrushing, as we've discussed. It's, it shouldn't really matter what you're feeding your pet if you're brushing their teeth once a day. Plaque shouldn't be a, an issue. Okay. So then what about um, all the, there's an awful lot I know of, of dental treats and chews and, and dry foods out there that some of them purport to have to have dental claims on them. So how effective can they be if, if you haven't got um, your dog or your cat particularly accustomed to having their teeth brushed? I guess they're, they're the sort of the passive aspect of dental hygiene. Definitely the active part of the toothbrushing is the preferred way. It's the controlled way. It means that we're getting around the whole mouth, removing plaque from every tooth. Whereas those passive methods, you're relying on the way that the dog eats and the action of those passive mechanisms to have an effect on, on the, the plaque on the surface of the tooth. I guess the things to look for with products is seal called the VOHC seal the veterinary or health council seal to have that mark on a, a product it means that it has to have had some research and investigation and independent research in order to to attain that seal so that's something to look out for but even then you know it's uh if you think about a dental chew the dental chew is only effective on the teeth that the dog is chewing with so it's fine for the teeth at the back of the mouth, those chewing teeth. You know, if you sit and watch a dog chew a dental chew, all of that is done at the back of the mouth, but it's not at all affecting canines and incisor teeth. So it's, the key thing is not to get lulled into a false sense of security with those. Um, they are an add-on, but they aren't a substitute. Okay. What about, I know some of the some of the dental foods have specific um, chelating agents in them, for example. There are some minerals that help prevent the formation, aren't there? Yeah, again, that's really looking at calculus, which is the next stage. Well, actually, gum disease happens before that stage with the plaque. So it's, that's certainly where the toothbrushing is, is the important part. Okay, so we need to stop that plaque from building up and forming the calculus and tartar in the first place. Okay, and the only way to do that is by mechanical brushing. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, now that's great. That's that's a timely reminder for me as well, actually. Um, maybe let's bring it back to what might be first indicator that, that there might be an issue brewing. So, for example, I'll take my own dog. Um, hand in the air, I'm a bad pet parent and bad vet. I'm not brushing her teeth and she's just been for a dental. So, And in fact, I bought something for her the other day, which was yak milk chew. It's incredibly hard. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it certainly gave me an indicator that she might have some dental problems because, because there was some blood on the chew after she'd been chewing on it. So clearly it was causing some gum bleed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously inflamed gums will bleed when they're 
traumatized um, be that by something that they're chewing or even the toothbrushing if you go to your dentist and tell them that your gums are bleeding when you brush them they'll tell you to brush more frequently not less again guilty <laughs> that is the, the key bit so bleeding is an indication that we need to just be doing um, some more in there particularly with the toothbrush but yes I mean there are lots of products available that I don't think are probably suitable for actually patients to be chewing on stuff that is probably too hard so that's one example of a chew that's too hard then is it yeah and the the antler chews things like nylon bones and, and that sort of thing are really too hard for our doggy patient to be chewing on um a dog's teeth focus all of that pressure down through essentially two or three very small points so if a you know, if the dog's fine is chewing on it on the side of the teeth, that's fine, which it will do for most of the time. But at some points, they're going to grasp that thing that they're chewing right on the, the tips of those teeth, the lower upper and lower carnassial teeth. And as they bite down, the tooth is definitely going to give way before the chewing. Okay, salient point. So, so avoid those particularly hard, dense chews then and, and products. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a, a rule of thumb. Uh, which uh, I learned from uh, Norman Johnson, who taught me back at university. His, his mantra was always that if you can't make an indentation with your thumbnail in whatever your dog is chewing, then it's too hard. Wow, uh, okay. I think that's very, very valid. You know, if, if it's too hard for you to make an indentation with your thumbnail in, then as your dog bites down, okay, for the majority of the time, it will probably be okay. But at some points, it's going to get that tube between the pointy bits of its teeth and the teeth will break. So that could cause, yeah, a major fracture or a crack. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The other common disease process that we see are fractured teeth because of dogs in particular, but also cats with face traumas. But uh, dogs either chewing on stuff that's too hard, carrying stuff that's too hard, or for us, the biggest one is catching stones on the beach. Eesh, people throw stones for, for them. Oh, yeah. Lots of dogs like chasing stones. You know, you throw the stone into the sea, the dog chases, jumps into the sea, fine. And 95% of the time, that'll be fine. But occasionally, your throw will go wrong, the dog will catch it, and that's broken tooth, Oof, you know, as right easy away. as that. Yeah, I mean, it's the same same material for our own teeth. So, you know, <laughs> if anyone threw a stone at our mouths, of course, there'd be a fractured tooth ensuing as exactly. well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good to know. Okay, well, that's um, that's me told. <laughs> I'll be taking away Rumba's shoes straight after this. <laughs> I just totally ruined your dog's life. Yeah. We haven't even gone to tennis balls yet and how bad they are. Or sticks. I know there's a lot still to cover. <laughs> um, okay, then. Well, let's go back to so, to some common health issues that we might notice in our in our pets that will indicate that there might be a problem. So we've talked about some some inflamed or bleeding gums. What about bad breath or other indicators that might give us a heads up? Again, I guess bad breath is, is an indicator that's, that something is going on. Bad breath can be caused by a number of different reasons. Probably the most common one is, is gum disease, periodontal disease. Um, there's a certain aroma to that as it starts to develop. But again, if you're brushing your dog's teeth once a day, hopefully the sort of Dog breath smell shouldn't be something that is a is a, a you know a, a something that's present. Other things also cause smell within the mouth. Uh, we briefly mentioned about tooth decay or caries, so that certainly in, in people is has a has its own aroma, a very characteristic smell. Um, and from our point of view, we certainly see broken teeth that where the the pulp has become exposed 
become infected and then died off. And then that dead pulp will have a an aroma as well. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pleasant word for a really stinky breath, right? And bad smell. Exactly, yes. <laughs> okay. An aroma that we don't want. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And of course, there's, but we're talking about smells, there's a lot of other reasons um, for, for, for particularly bad breath as well, not least of which could be kidney disease or something. So maybe, you know, it's a, it's a good point to just say if you smell anything unusual in your pet's breath, it's time to just give the vet a quick call um, and have a chat with them. And again, if you're in there brushing their teeth once a day, you know, this is the sort of thing that you pick up at a much earlier stage, hopefully. Very true. And so then let's talk about some of the causes that might be underlying these um, this dental disease, because we've talked about, I guess, well, we haven't really gone into it yet. We've talked about um, plaque that then can then form into, into calculus and tartar and then start to cause the tooth underneath to decay or to rot. So let's have a chat about some of the common health conditions that, that could contribute to poor oral health. So I know feline infectious disease, for example, some of the viruses can cause oral problems in our cats. Potentially, yes. Again, I think the uh, the evidence for sort of infectious diseases specifically causing mouth issues is actually a fairly limited. Um, something that's got into veterinary dogma over the years is the link between Khaleesi virus and gingivirus dermatitis. And actually, the published evidence for that is, is pretty limited. We know that a lot of these cats are infected or carriers of Khaleesi virus, but actually there's a specific link between the two. And actually, again, it's probably more of an issue with plaque in the mouth rather than anything else. These cats are oversensitive to plaque present in the mouth where a cat would normally react with gum disease. These cats get this very florid inflammatory response, which we call gingivirus dermatitis. Well, that's a learning for me. I hadn't realised that because I had I had made that link. Um, thankfully, I'm not alone. <laughs> what you've just said, most vets yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> no. I say it's it's something that's very present in veterinary dogma. Okay, so there is there there may be a link um, between the viruses and and um, gingivirus dermatitis, but actually it doesn't really have any effect on what we do with regard to treatment or really the prognosis from our treatment outcomes depending on which which route we go down with with treatment so um it's not something that's top of my list of of um of things to find out with these cats okay so then what is top of your list <laughs> really with with cats with um, gingivirus dermatitis it's it's again it's about plaque control um because we know or we think we know that plaque is the main stimulus for this inflammatory response in their mouth because cats are cats and we've discussed how difficult it is to brush their teeth um, these are cats with extremely sore mouths so trying to brush their teeth is even more difficult um, so therefore plaque control really comes down to extracting teeth in order to reduce the surfaces that plaque can build up on um, so we're trying to reduce the stimulus by reducing the surfaces that plaque can, can build up on. And therefore, hopefully, these, these patients will improve um, if we do that. And that, that leads me to another question, because there's an awful lot of, of aging cats, let's say, who end up losing a lot, if not sometimes all of their teeth. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sadly not that uncommon. And so how do they, how do they manage? Um, we, we know that, that cats are obligate carnivores, and yet they seem to be able to survive with, with very little to sometimes no teeth in their, in their mouths. Absolutely. I mean, we probably remove um, a full set of cat teeth at least once a week. So it's something we do really commonly either through dental disease, old age dental disease, or because of gingivirus dermatitis. And those cats 
they're doing incredibly well actually i guess they're lucky that they live with us and we can provide them they need in order to survive um most cats will eat normal cat food they'll eat dry food wet food without any teeth most cats don't really chew their food if you've seen a cat vomit then you'll see mostly you'll see whole biscuits in there rather than a load of chewed up stuff so it's they don't do a huge amount of, of chewing because they don't have to because we've adapted their lifestyle to suit our our means you know if they're out having to kill their food and and eat it and killing something once a week to do that then that would be different but uh, you know they, they live a nice lifestyle that they can cope without teeth really ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm just thinking it, it probably sounds quite extreme to people who are listening that that stat that you just said that, you know, once a week you might remove every tooth in a cat's mouth. So, you know, are there no other alternatives in these in these situations except to remove all the teeth? Um, if you've got teeth that are affected by dental disease, either gum disease or tooth resorption, that's the other common condition that we see in cats. We don't have an awful lot of options. We have to extract those teeth that are affected and usually they've gone beyond the limit where we would want to try and preserve them because toothbrushing is difficult in cats, as we've discussed. Um, so usually we don't really have a choice as to which teeth we extract. We extract those that are diseased and and then the cats are actually usually a lot better afterwards. With gingivose dermatitis, we are choosing to extract often healthy teeth in order to reduce those plaque retentive surfaces so that we're reducing the stimulus from plaque in, in those cats' mouths. Um, so they cope remarkably well with that. Again, most of the cats where we do that are actually more comfortable post-operatively than they were before. So it, it's, it's something that, although it sounds quite dramatic, actually cats, you know, they cope remarkably well with that. There are medical treatments available for gingivose dermatitis, but we know that by and large they work much better once the teeth have been removed with the teeth still present and the plaque still there as the stimulus those medical management um, medications are, are much less effective so then talking about um, advances in, in dental health what how has it advanced because I'm sure it's advanced a lot since since when I went through vet school um, in terms of what we can do okay so we haven't got full dentures yet for our for our cats who've lost all their teeth but but I'm sure we've advanced a lot beyond just basic scale and polish plus tooth extractions yeah I mean I guess what we do with the other treatments available we certainly um, spend a lot of our time doing root canal treatment in our patients um, so for teeth that have been fractured where the pulp has become exposed then root canal treatment often for those teeth is a much more preferable option because it avoids the extraction of what is otherwise a healthy tooth so we we do a lot of root canal treatments we do probably between uh, sort of three and four hundred root canal treatments a year um, wow 
So it's, it's, it's probably the, the, the most common procedure that we do and certainly is different to general practice. Probably the biggest advance over the last 10 years has been the introduction of dental radiography, so dental x-ray into practices. Um, when I started um, doing dental work and certainly when I started teaching, I um, always used to ask at courses how many people had dental x-ray and it was probably only 5 to 10% of people that would have dental x-ray, whereas now... I would say it's probably at least two thirds of practices now have access to dental x-ray and that is a, a massive step up. You know, we've gone really from guessing which teeth need to come out to actually taking a very pragmatic approach to probing, charting, and then x-raying to see what disease is present, what even what anatomy is present, because the anatomy is not the same for every tooth and every patient. And it allows us to really focus that treatment down to make sure it's the right treatment that's being carried out. So dental x-ray is definitely an important thing. Actually, to be honest, if you've got a tooth that's been fractured in the pulp, which is the live bit inside the tooth has become exposed, we know that it needs to be treated. It's either going to be an extraction or, or root canal treatment to treat that tooth. So they're, they're the two options that we have for those. Um, for some teeth, extraction is absolutely fine. So, you know, the small premolar teeth, that's, that, that's definitely the most appropriate thing. But when we're looking at the big strategic teeth, the canine teeth in particular, um, uh, the conasseal teeth, then if we can do root canal treatment on those, that's certainly the more preferred option. Okay. And how, how common is root canal? I mean, that's not something your GP vet's going to be doing, is it? No, I, mostly not. I mean, mostly root canal treatment is, is done at sort of a referral level, and I would have thought probably there are 15 people in the country that will do root canal treatment. So if patients, owners want to root canal treatment, to be done then they may have to travel a little bit but there are certainly big advantages to doing root canal treatment over extraction you know it's a much less invasive procedure it's much less painful than extracting a big canine tooth and obviously it means that that tooth is then pre preserved as well you know the, the structural element of that tooth the root of the tooth is preserved which is hugely important because we do see in particular dogs and cats where lower canine teeth have been extracted and jaws are fractured as a result of that so they're big teeth to extract um, so if we can preserve them that's a, that's a really important thing to do okay and um, what about this might be a really tough question i'm really going to show off my lack of dental dentistry knowledge here i feel like i should be going back to school but what about crowns then if you're doing root canals are you also doing crowns um we do from time to time um i think a, a crown for our patients is probably less important than it is for priority often when we have had root canal treatment done it's because we've got tooth decay uh, caries so a lot of the crown has been destroyed by that disease process and so yes the first part of that is sorting the roots out with the root canal treatment but then obviously the crown needs to be restored so that you've got a functional tooth within the mouth the majority of our teeth that we treat with root canal treatment that large proportion of the crown is still present so there's less of an advantage to applying a, a prosthetic crown on the outside of those teeth but certainly we we do fit prosthetic crowns when, when there's clinical need for it okay so what would be an example of where there's clinical need i guess there are two reasons why we would tend to fit prosthetic crowns one is is if we're worried that the tooth is going to be traumatized again after we've done the root canal treatment so certainly uh, something that is commonly done in in protection dogs so you know, police dogs military dogs dogs that are used as guard dogs you know where they need to be using their teeth then you may choose to, to place a prosthetic crown on those 
Um, but actually, the, the more common reason that we use prosthetic hands is to replace the enamel on the outside of the tooth. So some there's a disease process called enamel dysplasia where the enamel doesn't form properly on the outside of the tooth. The rest of the tooth is healthy. So if we can place a prosthetic crown on the outside of the tooth and take on the function of the enamel, then that's that's probably the most applicable reason that we have in our patients for, for placing prosthetic crowns. How interesting. Is that more commonly in dogs than in cats? And how do how do you diagnose it? So again, it's by appearance. So you, a tooth with enamel dysplasia will have a very moth-eaten look. So the enamel is nice and white and shiny on the outside of the tooth. If you've got enamel dysplasia, that white, shiny appearance is lost. And you're left with this sort of brown stained dentine that's exposed. So they, they have a very moth-eaten look. Usually these are young patients, so their teeth, you know, the enamel dysplasia is present as soon as the tooth erupts. So it's very obvious where you've got otherwise healthy teeth and say one tooth that's got enamel dysplasia that looks really grotty. And so what causes that? Is it genetic? Yeah, there are a couple of causes. So genetic um, causes are, are common and we certainly see enamel dysplasia in small breed dogs. Uh, which is, I guess, likely to be um, genetic. So in particular, small breed Yorkies seem to be overrepresented in dogs that have enamel dysplasia, so there must be a genetic element to that. But we can also see it as a result of trauma. So if a puppy bashes its jaw whilst the teeth are developing, that's when the enamel is forming. So before the tooth is erupted, when the tooth is a tooth bud down in the jaw, that's when the enamel is forming. When the, when the tooth is completely erupted, the enamel is completely formed at that point. So it doesn't change. So if you have something that affects the enamel-producing cells during that very sensitive stage of tooth development, that can then lead to the tooth erupting with no enamel on the outside of it. So say a bash on the face at sort of four or five months of age can then lead to a permanent problem with that tooth as it erupts. Gosh, how fascinating. But that then would explain why you said it might just be a single tooth versus, for example, I assume if it's genetic and affects a breed, it would be the bulk of teeth that would be affected. Yeah, absolutely. So in those small breed Yorkies, we tend to see the whole mouth affected by enamel dysplasia. Whereas in these sort of trauma cases, it tends to be teeth in an area. So we'll often see one or two or three teeth in, a, in an area where the jaw has been tra traumatised. Probably by a, th a stone being thrown on the beach or similar. Yeah, crashing into each other, all the sort of things that puppies like to do. A rough play, rough and tumble. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, you mentioned Yorkies. Are there any other particular breeds that are more affected than others by specific other dental health issues? Um, I guess we see um, more and more probably malocclusions, so where the teeth don't meet up properly, either because the jaws are not the right length, um, they don't, the jaws don't fit together properly, or because the teeth are in an abnormal position. Some of that is most certainly hereditary. You know, there's a genetic influence to that. Um, and we see it certainly in, in a lot of this, the purebred dogs. We do see it with the, some of the crossbreeds as well, particularly when you've got those first generation crossbreeds, the Labradoodle where you've got Labrador Poodle or some of the other breeds where often it's almost like you get one jaw from one breed and one jaw from the other breed and those two don't necessarily fit together as they should do. But I'm curious to know what you said about brachycephalic breeds, because first issue from, from a veterinary perspective, of course, is, is breathing issues. Um, but I would have assumed they'd have had dental problems as well. But you're saying not necessarily. I mean, they, they perhaps the malocclusions that they, they have are less of a, an issue for them as a, as, a, as a dog. They do have their own issues. You know, we see with the brachycephalic dogs where their jaws are too short. 
the teeth don't fit in properly so they don't fit in next to each other so instead of sitting in a nice line as we would have with say you know a collier or a labrador world the teeth are in a, in a nice linear arcade we get a lot of rotation in those brachycephalic dogs overcrowding teeth squashed into an area and those teeth are much more likely to get gum disease because of material then building up between the teeth as well as stuff building up on the surface um, so they do have their own issues so the malocclusion side of things is it's not always as you would think it would be no not at all so we've, we've touched on it then matthew up until now but but let's sort of do a summary of what are the consequences of if we ignore dental health in our in our pets i mean mostly for our pets um that will result in the need to, to extract their teeth it's what vets in practice and certainly we spend a lot of our time doing is taking teeth out um, and it is a little bit of a source of frustration because certainly for gum disease we know that those are teeth that could have been preserved if toothbrushing has, had happened throughout the patient's life and often actually owners are quite receptive to, to brushing you know when we see patients and we take a load of teeth out and say well actually there's these teeth left if you brush them there's a good chance that those teeth are going to be preserved owners are quite receptive to that um, it's just a, it's, an, it's a client education thing it's making sure that owners are aware that it's something that they need to be doing and often they will do it it's just you know reinforcing that really well i, I think if, if anything's been reinforced through my conversation with you it, it really is get in there and start doing teeth absolutely and and i guess that the point there is it's never too late either is it you don't have to start as puppy and kitten you can start anytime no absolutely and certainly if you just had your dog's teeth cleaned under anesthetic that is certainly the time to be working at that point with the toothbrush and um, because you've got a nice clean healthy mouth that's the perfect time to to be starting toothbrushing if it's if it's at a later stage in life for sure no i have no excuses absolutely none because i mean the irony is we none of us want to have our pets put under anesthetic it's it's got its own risks it's it's not something you voluntarily put them through absolutely you know there's a risk with any procedure that we do that there, there can be complications there's actually I'm trying to think of any complications to brushing your dog's teeth and i can't think of any other than certain cats not having all your fingers left not enjoying it yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> but okay well we did touch on chews earlier are there any particularly good chews or food that um that we can recommend or that are appropriate or uh, dry food versus wet food um again the, for me the what you feed your dog doesn't matter if you're brushing their teeth that's the, the key bit so actually it shouldn't really matter what you feed your your dog or your cat if you're able to brush their teeth um if the toothbrushing is an issue and you're looking for something to help with oral hygiene then looking for that vohc seal is is the thing to do there are a number of products out there that have that um so that's the thing to look out for when you're uh, when you're looking for chews and and diets to 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 go down okay and then last but not least tell me about throwing tennis balls for our dogs <laughs> tennis balls are the bane of my life <laughs> but dogs love them <laughs> Dogs really love them. And I had an old Labrador that would disappear off into a bush and come out with three tennis balls in his mouth. So <laughs> I know a lure of a tennis ball to a dog is a, is a strong thing. Um, but tennis balls are basically like sandpaper wrapped around rubber. Um, we have patients in, I can think of at least two patients this week where I've looked in their mouth and said to the owner, your dog chews on tennis balls. And they say, yeah, how did you know? You can tell because you can look at the side of the mouth and you can see the circular ring of the teeth worn down by having a tennis ball flat in their mouth. Really? Tennis balls for me are a big no-no. If you're going to use a ball, use a, a rubber ball, that's absolutely fine. 
uh, avoid the tennis balls because they're really good at, um, at wearing teeth down. That's going to be a surprise and a shock to a lot of people listening because they seem so soft. You think they're completely innocuous. Yeah, totally. We've just ruined a load of dogs' happy, enjoyable walks. <laughs> Including my own. <laughs> it does depend a little bit on what your dog is doing with the tennis ball. You know, if, it, if you're just doing cats and that sort of thing, it's probably fine. It's the sitting there chewing on it. That's the trouble. That's the bit we want to try and avoid. And what about sticks? Same, same problem with sticks and bark? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you never really know how hard a stick is going to be. So there's always the potential there for a tooth to fracture if you've got a big stick or, you know, something you see some dogs carrying around these great big logs, branches. If they happen to, you know, get that stuck on something as they're carrying it in their mouth, that's you know, a good leverage force in there to, to break a tooth or something like that. So we'd say avoid sticks. I would always say avoid sticks anyway, because when you throw them, the problem with sticks is they don't know what, what direction they're going to ricochet off the ground. They're so ununiform in their in their size and shape. So they can cause, gosh, I've seen some hard stick injuries in my time. But okay, well, on that cheery note, what can our pets enjoy? <laughs> Rubber balls, <laughs> liver flavored toothpaste. <laughs> That's it. No more fun. <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been enlightening. My dog is not going to be happy about the personal outcome for her following this podcast, but I'm very grateful for everything I've learned. I need to go back to vet school again. (laughs) Dentistry in particular. (laughs) No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all for this episode of the Pet Pod. But don't forget, no one knows your pets like you do. So if you're ever worried or concerned about their health, please be sure to contact your local veterinary practice first. And to make sure that you receive the next episode, please do like and subscribe. And I want to say thank you again to YouMove for sponsoring today's episode. And thank you for listening. Thank you.